Today's podcast and the following message are brought to you by Ask Auto, O-T-T-O. With Ask Auto, you can get help finding the best car for you and your family, communicate with dealers, list your vehicle for sale, and get a free vehicle market report, all while protecting your privacy with your free shopper shield. Find out more by going to autoconverse.com forward slash askauto. That's www.autoconverse.com forward slash askauto, O-T-T-O. And welcome to this episode of the AutoConverse podcast, where we explore people, ideas, and technologies that influence how we are connected and the way we get around. I'm Ryan Girardi. Thanks for tuning in. Whether this is your first time or your last, we're grateful for your visit. I know it's been a while since our last episode. We didn't intend to take such a long break, but it just worked out that way. The pandemic, as we all know, changed a lot of things. And even though we weren't able to produce new episodes all this time, I think you'd like to know we really missed being here with you. It's great to be back. And with that, let's get into today's episode. What I have for you is last week's Mobility Tech and Connectivity show. This is our live weekly webcast that effectively serves as the recording sessions for this podcast and a new separate podcast as well, which I'll explain in just a moment. Now, on the show, we cover a carefully selected handful of mobility tech and connectivity news and current events. There's also a featured guest interview and a discussion panel. The show normally lasts about an hour, and it's streamed live on our YouTube channel. But for the podcast, we're only going to include select clips and segments from the show. This way, it's a unique listening experience between the two podcasts and the show itself. In a year that many had prophesied but few could have predicted, 2020 may forever be remembered as the year that killed retail. Small local retail business, that is, such as restaurants and specialty shops. Other forms of retail, such as big box corporations, well, they appear to have thrived. And another area of retail that has done pretty well is automotive. In fact, word on the street is that auto retailers are projected to see record profits from 2020. These profits are not due to car sales. We've brought this up on recent episodes. They're because of the margins that dealers see as a result of steady demand and shrinking supply. Automakers, you might recall, had to stop making cars early in the coronavirus pandemic, and that had a significant impact for sure. But other factors include things such as less air travel, fewer car rentals, and a dip in ride sharing and work commutes. Now, through this time, COVID forced restrictions and protocols that have possibly forever changed the way automotive consumers and retailers interact. And purchasing a vehicle seems to be coming more efficient than ever before. According to a recent study, 63% of people who bought a car between April and August said the process was faster than ever before, and one-third of all vehicle transactions occurred in under an hour. Now, this is a great indicator of progress, and I'm not surprised by this. We've been talking about improving the car buying experience for 
at least a good decade now. Things such as giving the customer full transparency, giving the customer more control with the process, including their own information, offering contactless options throughout the process, and communicating using the customer's preferred medium. Now, the pandemic has accelerated some of these ideas and best practices. Naturally, some will stick around and others will not. But surely old habits will show their face now and again as well. Now, you're about to hear excerpts from a recent conversation that I had with Matt Weinberg, who is Senior Vice President of Consumer Experience with Modal, an automotive e-commerce platform formerly known as Drive Motors, which last month secured a $15 million round of Series A funding led by automaker Honda. Now, Matt joined us on the heels of his company's latest development to discuss the opportunity and what it means for consumers shopping for a Honda or for Honda dealers. It's all about building trust. And in order to do that, you've got to focus on the on the other three T's, which is we're transforming the car business. We're doing it together. We're saving our customers time and we're being more transparent. And if you focus on those things, you're going to have great success. This was our first episode of the year and starting off season nine. Hey, we got a good show lined up for you today. Oh, well, I'm a Game of Thrones nut, so that's, that's, that's my jam. The robots are listening. The robots are listening. Let's, um, let's get things rolling. Okay, so uh, Honda Modal just secured a, a Series A funding, $15 yep. million. I don't think this is Modal's first round of funding because they, they started up a few years ago. But this is a this is obviously a pretty significant round of funding, and you're right in the middle of all that. So why don't you open up and uh, just tell us about what this means for the company? Yeah, and maybe if I can step back and just share, you know, who Modal is real quick. Um, you know, so Modal provides e-commerce to the world's largest automotive dealer groups and brands, and essentially what we do is enable them to deliver customers transparent digital commerce technology that fits right into their existing websites and showroom experiences. And um, really it's about delivering a contactless, optimized and fully transacted online buying. We started in 2015, we were a Y Combinator company. So joining you know companies like Airbnb who have been through the Y Combinator program. Um, and then this is our Series A $15 million round that was led by Honda. And actually, uh, most of our existing investors who participated in our uh, seed round uh, actually participated in this round as well. So really, really exciting time for us. Um, and the relationship with Honda really started back uh, in 2018. So it evolved over a year or two, but really, really exciting times for us here at Modal. And by the way, Ryan, I do want to just point out that, you know, one of the things that we're doing in partnership with, with Honda, one of the reasons that they've chosen us is we are offering the ability on Honda's website as well. So a consumer can go to automobiles.honda.com, click on buy online and actually leverage our technology there from the tier one site as well. Okay. So you're going to be the, o, the OEM, the automaker solution, as well as a tier three solution. Yeah, we want to do both. You know, there's a big challenge, right? And that's, you know, how do we really support our dealers? And as you know, I come from a dealer background, worked at dealerships, sold cars myself. So I have a passion for helping dealers. 
Um, and sometimes OEMs and dealers, uh, you know, aren't always seeing things exactly the, the same way, right? So dealers want choice. OEM brands like Honda and GM, you know, they want to really create a unified and consistent experience. Right. Um, so, you know, th there's a challenge in there, obviously. Um, but from a modal perspective, we really want to focus on both. How, how do we help the dealer provide an incredible consumer experience for their customer? How do we help the OEM create a consistent experience? So, so yeah, we're, we're kind of going down both paths at the same time and really trying to, to help both at the same time. How would you explain the difference between the, the, the consumer experience on the dealer side versus the OEM specific to a retailing tool like modal? Is there a difference? Well, I don't think that there's, if you're using modal on Honda's website or you're using it on tier three, there's not a difference. I think the, the challenge becomes how do you allow it on your tier one site and then have a different experience on tier three. So somebody that's going from a tier one site and then two hours, two days, two weeks later, they're on a dealer site and they're going, wait, this, this doesn't really match, right? So I think that's where the challenge is. But from a modal perspective, there is not a difference between the functionality and how you could buy a car on the dealer website versus the OEM site. Does that okay. make sense? Yeah. So that's, that's why I was curious. Is there a difference, but what the customer is going to experience is the same. Obviously the backend process is going to be going to be different. So when, if I'm on the Honda OEM site as a shopper and I use the retailing um, interface there, uh, what's going to happen with my information that I put in? Can you explain what's going to, what's going to occur? Yeah, it's going to the dealer. So it's, so when we set it all up, we're setting it up on behalf of that dealer. And so if the customer is looking at a particular dealer's piece of inventory, it's going to actually take them into modal, um, and send all that information to that dealer that owns that vehicle. Okay. So they're going to be look at a, at a vehicle in stock to, to go through the it's gotta be an in stock vehicle. It's not a, you know, build my own and then buy it. Okay. It's looking at actual inventory. And so on Honda's website, they'll show inventory. When you click on that vehicle, it will actually take you to the VDP on the dealer's website. Right. Now. Okay. That's how that functionality works today. So as a shopper, you would actually kind of exit the, the interface on the Honda side. And now you're right there on the dealer side. Correct. And then if you were to, are you able to pick up where you left off as a shopper? Absolutely. In fact, um, anytime that a shopper goes on, goes through, and then, and then goes to another vehicle or leaves and comes back, it's going to allow them to pick up where they left off. In fact, we also have the technology available for a dealer to build a deal for the customer and then actually choose where they want that customer to enter that deal. So if I want, you know, if we've talked on the phone, Ryan, and you and I have agreed to terms, I may start you right where the credit app portion is and skip past adding trade and stuff. Cause we've already talked about that. I've already added it for you. Okay, good. I, I like that. That's one thing I think that, 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 uh, digital remote retailing, you know, providers can do is they can, they it's cloud-based information and it's portable. 
and so it it should speed up the experience. Uh, uh, Dave on the on the live chat pointed out that most European automakers have been using digital remote retailing for many years, selling directly to consumers online. In the U.S., that hasn't been the case because it has to go through a dealer, but that's not necessarily the same in uh, in, in other countries. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I know I don't want to ask the the cliche question. What's changed since COVID? I'm not going to go there, but um, a lot has changed with digital and remote retailing over since inception. I would say, and I think most would agree, that when when the technology was first introduced, it was like, hey, let's attach this widget to your website, and that's going to help you sell more cars. And I think what everyone learned is that no. That, that creates a new process. It appeals to a, a different part of a, sh a different shopper or a different interest of a shopper. It creates a different process. Your people need training. So in many ways, you know, yeah, people that were jumped on early, you know, failed. And that's okay because, because you learn from that. Exactly. Um, how would you explain where we're at right now, all things considered, including the pandemic, and we're kind of entering into probably from toddler kind of probably entering out of toddler phase with, with remote and digital retailing, but where would you say we're at right now as an industry when it comes to this um, technology and, and this experience? Yeah. First thing I would point out is I, I want to echo what you said, which is it's okay for those that maybe have tried it and not succeeded, right? Because I've never met a dealer that said, Hey, I started buying internet leads too soon, or I built my dealer website too soon or I started advertising on Google too soon. Like you said, you learn from that, right? Um, so that's the first thing. As far as uh, the pandemic, I, I think that it's it's really accelerated this, right? I think that to your point, I think we're kind of, I think we're actually growing out of the toddler phase, right? And um, getting into that elementary age, I think. Um, but that acceleration happened. So for example, at, at Modal, like we've seen a 700% increase in online checkout volume uh, and actually it, it led to profitability for us. Um, so as of May, we, we became profitable. So I know, you know, it's been a challenging year for a lot of people. And like you shared at the beginning, you know, small businesses, it's been challenging. So, um, it's been really interesting to kind of watch and help dealers along the way. Um, I think, look, we're, we're getting, we're getting much closer. And I know you're talking about e-commerce and you're talking about, Hey, we've been doing this a few years. Um, you know, Dave, who's going to be joining us and I, you know, we've been in e-commerce and auto for, you know, 20 some odd years. And it's, it's fascinating to me because we felt like we were doing e-commerce and we really weren't. And so in many ways, we're just so much closer today, right? So for us, for example, I mean, we're at a place now where we can offer the contactless optimized, fully transacted online buying right inside a dealer's website, increasing sales profit typically. Um, and the consumer that wants to do this is frankly what I like to call the modern day laydown, or some of my dealers will call it the convenience seeker. Um, but these are the folks that just want that really easy experience, right? And so that's kind of what we're seeing. We're seeing this shift, but I, I agree. I don't think we're all the way there yet. Um, I think there's a couple of reasons for that. Uh, one is there's a difference between consumer preference and consumer behavior. And what I mean by that is 
uh, Cox Auto Trader study said that 89% of car buyers, when asked, said they're more likely to buy from a dealership that offers online checkout. But we know less than 10% are actually doing it. Mm-hmm. So what's the difference? So the behavior is not matching. So if we can take a second, Ryan, and dig into that, because of course they said, yes, I'm more likely to buy from a dealership that offers online checkout because they're comparing their last car buying experience to Uber Eats, Amazon Prime, Instacart, all these incredibly easy things in our lives. So I want to do that. But then I get on a dealership website and fear kicks in, right? The number one emotion that car buyers say they feel during a car buying experience is fear, unfortunately. Um, But now fear kicks in. So it's, hey, can I trust this dealership? Is this a fair price? Notice I didn't say, is this the lowest price? Is this a fair price? And we talk more about that if we want. Um, And by the way, I haven't seen it. So I want to touch it, smell it, feel it, see it before I make a final decision. And so they're saying they want it. But I think this goes to the root of your question is, we're not all the way there yet, because if I fill this out, do I own it? I haven't even seen it. And so that's where I think, you know, like you look at a Carvana and they go seven day money back guarantee. That's, that's solely to address that fear factor. Mm-hmm. Do you think customers know that they can chop at different parts of the process over a period of time? And do you think that's understood by consumers or do you think they, in their mind, they have to get it all done right at one time? I I, I think that they kind of know that because if you think about the consumer journey, right. And we all, you know, these large companies, whether it's Google, Auto Trader, Cox have shared a lot of data with us over the years. You know, and so we know we've got a you know 90 day buying cycle or so. Um, I think it's probably less than that now, frankly, because of technology. Mm-hmm. But you know, they know the main elements of the car. I mean, of the car deal, they know. Hey, I've got to get funding. So some of them already have funding. They've checked to see, get pre-approved. They know that. Hey, I've got to trade. What's it worth? Like because they know when I walk into the dealership, I better have an idea of what that car is worth. Otherwise, I'm going to be scared to death when they give me the number, right? So they're doing those things anyway. Um, So I think they're kind of piecing it together themselves. But I will say like, you know, back to one of your earlier questions about like, where are we in the evolution? I found it fascinating pre-COVID when a dealer would tell me, I don't want to do, you know, digital retailing as, as the most common term is. And I found that fascinating to me because they already have had it all on their website, right? They already had a payment calculator on their website. They already had a trade appraisal on their website. They already had a credit app on their website. We're just combining it and making it super easy for the customer. And I think that's the most important thing, right? Is how do we make this easier? And you mentioned earlier, you're like, hey, we know the car business, right? I think sometimes because, you know, I've desk deals. And then I talk to folks that are, you know, GMs, GSMs, dealer principals. And I think they'll look at something at a tool and they'll think, oh, this looks easy, but it's because they already understand all the complex coordination that takes place in a car deal. And so they make, my opinion, they make the mistake of thinking, oh, this is easy enough for my customer. But I strongly believe you've got to really just make it so simple so intuitive that they don't really need to think about how do I do this? What does this mean? Right. So um, it's just fascinating for me to see that evolution along the way. What I wanted to kind of, kind of wind down with is going back to modal modal's growth in automotive. 
Um, I, I, is it fair to say that in 2020, dealers, you saw a, a higher volume of dealers coming to you proactively uh, for your technology prior than the year prior? Absolutely. There's they, no question. Like demand just went up. So I always okay. use the 80-20 rule in, in most things and definitely in this business. In this business, I would say when new technology and new uh, ideas come, come forth, no, one, in, one in five dealers maximum are going to get on board, maximum. Depending on what it is, sometimes it's one in 10, sometimes it's one in 20. And then once you start to see more than 20% kind of get over, that's when we've crossed that chasm. Are we at that point now? Have we crossed uh, the chasm? Well, I think keep in mind there's there's kind of two chasms in in my opinion. So you've got the dealer chasm, right? Where to your point, which is what you're asking about. And yes, I'd say we've definitely crossed the chasm. I think that that COVID catapulted us across it. We flew, us, we, yeah. we went through. <laughs> um, I don't think we've crossed the chasm yet from a consumer usage perspective yet. So. Right, because, because yeah. really right now, you know, less than 10% of car deals are done, uh, you know, completely online. And now don't get me wrong, I have, store, I have a store that just did, you know, 70, I think it was 72 or 76 um, deals last month alone. Um, and then I do have some dealers that I've seen as, do as much as 19% of their total business for a month through online checkout. Okay. Um, but those dealers... And I think this is where, right, people and process become so important because it's not just the tool, right? We can give you the easiest tool, but if your team is not talking about it, if you're not marketing it, if, if you're not sharing it, if you're not retargeting customers with it, then you're not going to see that much, much usage, right? So those dealers that I'm talking about that are having the most success, they're driving people into online checkout. If they get a phone up, for example, they're going to go through their usual tactics, right? They're going to try and schedule an appointment. But if at the end of that conversation, they realize, well, I'm not getting an appointment with Ryan, then we're training them to switch to what I call the three T's. And so it's really easy to remember. So, hey, Ryan, um, I know you said that, you know, you didn't want to schedule an appointment. I did want to just make sure that you do know that here at XYZ Honda, we're transforming the car buying process and we're saving you time and making it more transparent. And the way that we're doing that is you can buy the car right off of our website. Did you know that? Same thing if somebody is leaving the dealership. They've come into the dealership. It's an up. They've been on a test drive. They've gotten a price. They've gone through pricing. They've talked to the desk manager and been TO'd but they're not buying, they're on their way out the door. We teach our dealership sales managers, hey, make sure that they know that they can finish buying the car on your website. Same thing, three T's. Did you know we're transforming the car buying process, saving you time, being more transparent? Did you know that you can finish buying this car on our website? All right, so transform time. Transform and time and transparency. And those all actually lead, Ryan, to what I think is the most important T, which is trust. Because at the end of the day, really everything that a dealership does should be about trust. If mm -hmm. you are doing anything in your dealership, whether it's in marketing, in process, 
when you're hiring your people, if that person that you're hiring, that marketing campaign, or anything else that you're doing, if it's not going to build trust with your customer, it's not going to help you sell more cars and build customers for life. Obviously, transparency helps build trust. What, what would you say some things are that dealers, you know, that might be listening to this, uh, that dealers do regularly that, that, that threaten trust, that get in their way? Can you think of anything? Well, transparent pricing is going to be the number one thing, right? It's the, the number one reason that car buyers say they chose one dealership over another is transparent pricing. So that's going to be the biggest thing because you have to keep in mind, again, you've got to put your consumer hat on. And for me, I've been in the industry long enough to make this analogy, but it used to be that when we advertised in the newspaper, a typical car buyer, you know, they'd circle, you know, eight to 12 cars in the newspaper, and then they'd pick up the phone and they'd call those eight to 12 dealerships. And they'd ask a couple of questions. Do you still have it? How much is it? What's wrong with it? And what they were trying to figure out was which of these eight to 12 dealerships do I not need to go see? Which ones can I cross off the list? Mm -hmm. And that's still happening today, but it's on your website. They're coming to your website and that's where they're making that judgment. They're not walking into your store and saying, let me talk to, you know, Mr. or Mrs. Salesperson and then decide if I can trust this dealership. They're going to your website and they're looking at how are you pricing they're looking at what your messaging is and they are making us a, a judgment. Hey, can I trust this dealership? And we know that they're going to fewer dealerships than they used to. So they're making that judgment on your website, but transparent pricing is the most important thing. And it's not just on your website. If you don't think that that customer that goes to, as I think Google says, it's 19.6 sites or something like that. Um, if, the, if you don't think that they're not going to check your pricing on true car or on, cars.com or on auto trader, then you're missing it. And if there's a different price between any of those, what does the car buyer think? Okay. Typical car dealer. Yeah. I, I can't trust this one. Let me move on. Yeah. And, and it doesn't mean the lowest price wins either. That's not, that's not what people are after. No, they're after a fair and transparent price. And in yeah. fact, um, I'd love to share with you. And actually Jared Hamilton shared this study with me before it was published. Um, and it was, a, a, I think it was University of Michigan, but it was, a, it was definitely a, a university in Michigan. And what they did was they actually took car buyers who came into a dealership and they broke them into three. And the first third, they showed them the price on the car as soon as the customer said, I'm interested in this particular vehicle. So they showed them the invoice right then and there. The second third, they showed them the invoice at the point of the test drive in the steps to the sale. And the last third, they showed invoice to them when they brought them their first price. And the customers that paid the most for the car were the customers that saw the price earliest in the process. And the customers that paid the least for the car were the ones that saw it at the end. Now, that was my conversation with Matt. After we spoke, we were joined by David Rozek. He's an auto retail marketer in the Chicagoland area who oversees advertising operations for a luxury auto group. I'm only including a portion of that discussion here where we talk about the new logo for General Motors, Ford's all-electric Mustang, the Mach-E, and a few other industry-related items. But there is a portion of our discussion I'm leaving out, and that's because it's going to be featured on 
the Dealer Talk podcast. That's right. Our friends over at the Dealer Talk podcast have agreed to feature segments of our show that are more dealership-minded. So if you're interested in dealership marketing, more specifically that type of information that we do produce on the show, then you'll want to head over to dealertalk.biz and get yourself subscribed to the Dealer Talk podcast. Or here, I'll make it easy for you. Get out your phone, which you probably have in your hand right now. Text the keyword dealer talk, all one word, doesn't matter about case sensitivity. Text the word dealer talk to 64600. So just like you're calling a phone, send a text and send it to the number 64600. And then in the message, type dealer talk, all one word, and we'll send you a link to subscribe. And that'll put you in. And by doing this, we can then send you text messages when new episodes are dropped. In fact, on that note, if you do the same thing with the keyword autoconverse to 646, then we'll send you a link to the MTC show each week, which, by the way, has been temporarily moved to every other Wednesday at 7 p.m. Central on autoconverse.com. In fact, our next show is Wednesday, February 3rd. We have Benjamin Dykstra coming on for an interview about his website, dealershiplife.org. What I like to do, you guys, you know, I like to pick some industry news, and that's why I invite you up here to, to be part of the, the conversation. Um, have, have you caught a glimpse of GM's new, new logo they're coming out with? Dave's dogs don't like it. You hear them? They don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> you can let them bark, Dave. It, nobody uh, that I've talked to, in fact, it was a big talk on, on Monday when I got to work. Everybody talked about GM's new logo. And you know, I, I was just oh, you don't want to let them bark. <laughs> Oops, that's the puppy. Um, and everybody's talking about it, but everybody's like, oh, they're just changing it because they're going electric. And I'm like, ah, oh, I think they changed it because they wanted a different look. And I and I got to say that the leadership at GM over the past couple of years that I've noticed, um, whoever I can't remember her name, but whoever that lady is in charge, you know, she's restructuring, making stuff move. You she's know, doing she's a doing job. a lot of good things. I, I think she's doing a really good job in making them competitive again. I mean, I grew up at a GM dealership and I learned how to be a, a porter, a service writer, a finance manager, and a used car manager at a GM store. Um, so, I mean, I've always loved GM products, but there's been a while there where it, it just got stale. And the biggest marketing thing they ever had to talk about was, hey, you, get, you can get employee pricing. Um, you know, now they have a lot of cool vehicles. Um, that have come out um, and even on their electric lines and the improvements they made. So, you know, I don't, I don't like it, the new logo, but in reality, you know, GM isn't really the brand I buy from. I really buy from, you know, Chevy or I yeah. buy from Buick or I buy from Cadillac. So from a corporate thing, I don't care. Well, in, GM in is, I would say, I mean, take Tesla out and some of the new startups, but of the, of the um, of the traditional automakers, I, I think GM's doing a great job leading the way uh, with mobility as a whole. Ford's doing a great job. Ford now, by the way, uh, the Mustang Mach E, which came up on our show earlier this year, and actually got everyone on the show was like, um, but I hated it until I drove one. That you drove it and you liked it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I I went to the Autobahn. Um, and I happened to be there and a guy pulled up in one and 
I'm just like, oh, that's pretty cool. And he goes like, do you want to drive it? <laughs> and I'm like, okay. Yeah. yeah. So I, I mean, I took it and, and drove it. And I, I was, I was my, I mean, I was, I was pretty impressed with it, you know, in comparison. And, you know, I, I've, we have different electric vehicles at our brands, but I've also, you know, driven a lot of the Teslas um, at my, in my previous employer in previous life, you know, we had a, a product, we had a whole electric used car store. Um, so I used to be able to sample all the different ones. So it was pretty cool. Um, but I got to say that, um, you know, driving it, I, I was impressed. It, it, it you know, I, I didn't get the name thing. Um, Mustang to name? me says, well, the Mustangs to me says, you know, it's a muscle car. It's, it's fast. It's sexy. It's sleek. It, it reminds you of when you're a kid, you know, with the 5.0s and it was the coolest thing in the world to have. So I'm kind of looking at that and I'm like, well, that's not that cool. Looking. Yeah. It doesn't look like a Mustang. No, but then I got it and I drove it and I said, you know what? It's kind of a hybrid SUV. And in reality, it's a lot cooler than a lot of the SUVs that everybody switched to. I mean, we went to that minivan phase and then everybody became, especially in the Midwest, everybody has an SUV in their driveway in my block. I mean, but it makes sense. An SUV is, is more useful than a sedan. It gets good gas mileage. It's not big and clunky. It's, I mean, when you think about it, the SUV is, is, you know, the, the, of, of what, of of our average needs in a car an SUV fills that need. Yeah. Go back 20 years ago. And I don't think BMW really had any SUVs, right? They only had maybe a couple. (laughs) Now it's like that we have more SUV models at BMW than anything else. And that's what everybody wants. Plus SUVs are kind of strange. We have those very high end SUVs that are expensive. But then we also have these SUVs that are $200 a month, $300 a month on leases. Like CRV. And in Highline cars. I mean, the CRV is a wonderful car to talk about. The BMWs, you know, X1, 2, and 3. You know, the, um, the Mercedes entry-level SUV. You know, they, they've all figured out a way to make them inexpensive as well. Um, even some of the, you know, the Korean models, I've driven, I rented one of those. And it, it was, a, what, a Tucson. And I was mildly surprised that, you know, on my I'm driving the Tucson rental, I was like, you know, this isn't that bad. Oh, uh, I agree. I don't, I haven't driven a lot of um, Hyundai and Kia, but from the, from the outside looking in, they just look, I mean, they've done a, a great job. I'm at the point now where the cars are just awesome. Like you, you yeah. almost can't buy a bad car today. You can get a cheaper one. Sure. I just, I had a loaner the other day. It was a Honda, I want to say a Civic. Okay. And, and I, I'm me coming from an Acadia. <laughs> I, I actually did feel like I was in a plastic box on plastic wheels and I didn't want to go over like 60 on the highway, you know? So, but still from a reliability standpoint and safety, I'm sure the car is better than most cars out of the, you know, even as far back as the nineties. Oh, well, the safety is just changing so fast, right? Like, I mean, it's so much safer than it was for me. Like, that's why I lease because I'm like, I don't want my family in a today. I don't want my family in technology. That's three years old. Yeah. Cause safety changes so fast today. Yeah. And if it doesn't have a connection with your phone, <laughs> it's kind of obsolete. Yeah, it's right. Like, exactly. You know, it is. it's got to sync with your phone. And it's got to collect all that data, and it's it's you know it's got to play my music. It's I mean nowadays, I mean navigation's obsolete when you think about yeah, it. Yeah, totally. I've had years ago. 
everything that we heard is nav who who uses nav anymore you because know? we use it on our phones is that why yeah i mean apple play apple carplay or you know yeah because or, the built-in nav systems couldn't really keep up with with well, now, yeah, but you have to update them so yeah, like google's automatically updating the restaurants all the places plus the roads yeah whatever. that's so, a like, good point Honda nav i had to like i think every year they were sending me something trying to sell me the updated data for i mean it wasn't crazy expensive i think it was 100 bucks i never did it because i was like well you know how many how much it's does every year but, if you have oh. three cars in the family but yeah and, and and the navs in the car do this now too but the other thing is like you know because google has all the data from ways and all that stuff they know when to tell you not to go a certain way like i was just in pensacola and there's a bridge that's closed there that got damaged so you got to go all the way around and if you've got the wrong nav that's not updated, you, you're going to be in trouble. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That bridge is still closed? Yeah, the one in Pensacola is still closed, yeah. I was down there when the hurricane hit, and I, I, I would have assumed it was fixed by now, but you're saying yeah, it's... Still closed. The one that goes right into Gulf Breeze? Wow, that's huge. Yeah, it's still closed. Well, speaking of cars of the future, you know, the Hummer is coming back out and the demand for it because it's an EV now. And these are the cars that need to be EVs. Remember the Hummer when it came out and then gas prices surged and it was like, if you were driving a Hummer, you were like the biggest schmo in the world, right? <laughs> um, but now it's back as an EV. Um, GM's uh, planning on, on uh, having to build out. I forget how many they said. They sold out in 10 minutes, but it doesn't say here how many they I thought run. it was like 120,000 or something was their first was run. it around <laughs> that? It's yeah. quiet. Are they going to turn all the Hummer dealerships back in the hum Hummer stores? <laughs> you always can see those when you when you drive by and you're like, oh, that was a Hummer. Oh, that's dealer. an old Hummer store. <laughs> yeah, that was a Hummer store. I think GMC is getting the the brand, right? It's my understanding. It is, yeah, it is. I don't know why. That's a good point because it says GM. And BMW expects to have something like all of its cars. Let me see here. I know I have this. On the Mini side, all of them are supposed to go electric. Just Mini? Yeah, I mean, BMW will have a model of every brand in electric, but they'll also have a whole, they'll also have gas versions as well as hybrid versions. You know, the whole world isn't, you know, going electric. And the bad thing is that, as much as people say they want to and it makes sense, yeah, there's still an infrastructure issue here in the United States with charging. Charging, you know, right. try to try to drive a Porsche Taycan somewhere and and find a fast charger that can charge that. It's a wonderful vehicle, you know. But in general, unless you're on a unless you have an adapter for a Tesla charger somewhere and their fast charger, you know, I mean, Tesla has a wonderful system when it comes to charging and the way they do it in comparison to a lot of the other products out there in EVs. But you know, in the next couple of years, everybody's going to catch up. So I mean, it, it's it's okay. Um, I know that a lot of like, I think, isn't it California, Matt, or somebody that said that in another couple of years, you're not allowed to build any cars that aren't electric there? Well, yeah, uh, I mean, pretty much 2030 to 2035, depending on the country. And in our case, this, well, it's going to be here too. Yeah, you're not, you can't build combustion vehicles anymore. 
right? Crazy. A lot, a lot of countries are going to outlaw it, um, which I get it. But I mean, there's, there's always a market for, for there'll always be a market still. I think for gas cars. Yeah, but, the you know, the combustion we vehicle will become like a clubhouse thing. It'll be like a, a recreational extracurricular activity. You go. I you just go. had this vision, Ryan and Dave, of the reverse of the problem that Dave was mentioning. I'm imagining like 20, it's 2040 everywhere I go to try and get gas for my old gas yeah, car. It's just all electric chargers. And I'm like, I, <laughs> like, I can't bring it with you. Where uh, you know what? By that time, Uber will be able to fill up your tank without you even stopping the car. That's true. And there you go. True, true. Hey, Uber. we're in a great, we're in, in flight. Fill it up in be flight. Fun. That'd be fun. I was just gonna say, we're in an awesome time to be in the car business, um, the mobility business. You know, going back to GM, GM started referring to its, itself as a mobility company, I think about five years ago. Uh, they were the first ma- automaker to say, we're going mobility. Um, and that's that. And, and I, I really personally resonate with that. I think probably for obvious reasons, but you know, Ford's doing a great job. Tesla, you know, is, has broken new ground, paved the way, uh, obviously the number one EV uh, car maker in, in the world and, and definitely in the U S number two in Norway. There's a, there's another EV maker in Norway that, that sold more than Tesla did. Um, so Tesla's not the king of the king of the world everywhere, but exciting, exciting times. All right. That's all she wrote for us today, folks. Thanks again for tuning in to the AutoConverse podcast. Head on over to autoconverse.com to get yourself subscribed to the blog and check out all the great stuff we have going on there as well. Today's episode was brought to you by Ask Auto, O-T-T-O. With Ask Auto, you can get help finding the best car for you and your family, communicate with dealers, list your vehicle for sale, and get a free vehicle market report, all while protecting your privacy with your free shopper shield. Find out more by going to autoconverse.com forward slash askauto. That's www.autoconverse.com forward slash askauto, O-T-T-O. This is Autoburst Media.